Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey, this is Aaron Mansfield, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Stephen Vaughn. Hello. And Morgan McClure. What is up, guys? Welcome to Episode 7, Soul and Substance, where we'll discuss substance, addiction, the path to recovery, and what it means to find true satisfaction in Christ. We hope you stay with us for the whole episode. good to be back in the studio today and uh man Stephen had quite a night last night if we understand yeah. this right so i'm dragging a little bit today guys i'm just gonna be honest with you but he was up to like 4 30 fighting a <laughs> raccoon from what we understand yeah so <laughs> it was kind of intense we have two new kittens and the raccoon knows that they're there and he was trying to get in and so me and the raccoon did battle about five times and oh i thought gosh. about just pulling out the gun but then i was like i don't want to give everyone in the valley a heart attack right. that I didn't let him know. So right. I tried to get my bow out. And so at like 3.30 in the morning, I'm like outside in Crocs and like boxers with like a bow and a light and a stick. And I'm like running around like a crazy, it's like a scene you might see in like a weird redneck movie. Right. And I, it was kind of I intense. Like the things you do while your made. wife's on vacation. It was kind of, yeah. Visiting family. Yeah. Like, yeah. like uh, Emily would have reined you in there a little bit, yeah. but I think you just, you just, you it just, just went for it. It so. went off the rails But I appreciate the consideration of your neighbors and not firing a gun at 4.30 Yes, consideration. Hey, very the positives here are it's, I'm very considerate of my neighbors mm-hmm. and I'm very considerate of my kids. And the yes, raccoon still lives. And hey, it's <laughs> not after fight, tonight. Lives to fight another day. One more day. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Well, listen, we're excited to get with you all um, today as we're talking about uh, soul and substance. And we got a full episode ahead of us today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what we're going to do, I think, right now is just kind of paint a picture of um, really the addiction crisis in America. And I don't think this is limited just in the United States. I think this probably is a global thing. However, many of the statistics and things that we studied uh, preparing for this episode were were really limited, uh, I believe, to the United States. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was one statistic I came across this past week from RU Recovery, and they stated this. They said addiction affects one in four people. Now, just let that sink yeah. in for a moment. One yeah. in four people, regardless of age, gender, nationality, or status. And so, you know, as we think about the addiction crisis in America, I think what often probably comes to people's minds is um, is certain substances, right? Yeah. I think sometimes people think about illicit drugs or people think about um, alcohol, but but addiction is much more than just those things, right? Yeah, it's so broad. And so... Um just our listeners try to get rid of the the picture that comes to your mind first of just specifically drug addiction or alcohol addiction because when we say addiction crisis we're just talking about being addicted to something Mm. because one in four people are that's Mm -hmm. a startling statistic it is a startling statistic i mean you know just for instance we've we've kind of talked about alcohol a little bit here I, i came across one thing from the american addiction center that said almost three fourths of adults right so uh three out of four people um they they suffer from a substance use disorder. And this was a stat back in 2017. 
And people that struggled with that struggled with an alcohol use disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, according to the CDC, I found that they did a study in 2018 to where 26.45% of people ages 18 or older. So we're already below the minimum drinking age anyway, which is a different discussion and topic, but just 18 and older, um, 26.45% of those were described as heavy alcohol users, meaning that in the past, uh, I believe it was year or month that they did the study, they had had over, I believe for men it was five drinks, and I think for women it was four drinks at a time, which was considered heavy by the CDC. And um, NIH had similar statistics on that. They were both like between 25 and 20. So that's one out of every four um, I, I found an interesting uh, stat about alcohol-related deaths. And so an estimated 88,005 people, approximately 62,000 men and 26,000 women, die from alcohol-related causes each year, mm-hmm. making alcohol the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. The so, first being tobacco yeah. and the second poor diet, physical inactivity. That's right. So, you, I mean, you look, at, you look at the landscape of American culture and you say, hey, uh, alcohol addiction is a real thing. Um, one thing I came across from the NCADD said that over half of American adults have a family history problem of drinking or alcohol addiction. Mm. Half, over half of all American adults uh, have a history of that within their family. And so, mm. you know, we can think about alcohol, but, you know, we could also think about pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, today, there is a uh, porn epidemic yeah. in, in, in terms like that. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, and this is an older statistic, right? So it's a few years old, which would make me wonder what is the current statistic today. But um, Covenant Eyes and Joshua McDowell Ministries commissioned the Barna Group to do a major study on pornography that they called the porn phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And they surveyed over 3,000 people. And what they found, and this, there, there was a number of things that they identified, but these are just a few things that really stood out to me. One was that at age 11 is the average age mm-hmm. a child is first exposed to pornography. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I believe that that's even gone down in the past two years yes. from my understanding of it certain has. studies, which is insane to think about. Covenant Eyes as well, which is a trusted um, online um not quite filtering service, but accountability service. Um, Washington Post, I believe, published about them. So they're they're a, they're a credible source. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. Um, they they say that on a, on a given second, and I believe that this is worldwide. This isn't just uh, U.S. I don't think. Uh, but on a given second, there are twenty eight thousand two hundred and five eight users watching pornography on a given second, mm-hmm. wow. and that's just. That's like crazy to think about that on the World Wide Web at every second. Yeah. I was researching on enough.org and they, um, their website promotes internet safety and, you know, mindful parenting Mm -hmm. of, you know, what your kids are watching on the internet. But they pulled some statistics um, from Pornhub, which is one of the mass producers of pornography. Um, Well, I mean, first they, they listed this, that the United States is the top consumer of both illegal child pornography and obscene pornography. Mm -hmm. Like, Anywhere the U.S. is at the Mm. top, which is terrifying. Um, But about Pornhub, they said visits to Pornhub totaled 33.5 billion over the course of 2018, which was an increase of 5 billion visits over 2017. You know, stats like that, we can't even like comprehend that in some aspect of that, you know. It's it's crazy. Um, And then that uh, every minute, boiling it down to minutes, 63,992 new visitors arrive at Pornhub. So this is brand new people, first time ever visiting. Hmm. You know, I think about, you know, as the church were where I pastor as we think about, um, you know, um, 
teaching families and informing families about this. I mean, I think it's one of those things. Pornography is one of those things that, that, that 20 years ago, you know, many people didn't experience or, or think about or even have to uh, well, it was more guard against. It was more illicit. And now you it's had just to so accessible. You had to go somewhere. And so it was like, it was things that was happening high school and college. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, when I was growing up, I think it was becoming more and more of a prevalent thing with the access to the internet, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially for kids in high school. Nowadays, Nowadays, I mean, it's kids in elementary school. It's right. kids in it's kids in almost pre-elementary school accessing through um, social media. Accessing this, and you know, the, all you gotta do is go on Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat right. is like porn central mm-hmm. nowadays. You so, know? so going back to that statistic that I brought up of the Barna Group, they had a couple other things here. Listen, to what they said: they said two thirds, over two thirds of church-going men view pornography on a regular basis. Mm. Of young adults age 18 through 24, 76% actively search for pornography. Hmm. 70% of Christian youth pastors have had at least one teen come to them with help, asking for help in dealing with porn in the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. And out of those, 92% were high school boys, 57% middle school boys, 23% high school girls, 10% middle school girls. And so, you know, we, we, we hear the statistics of that and it's just like, you know, we look at... Um, that, that is a, that is one of a substance addiction in our country today. And so we can think about alcohol, Mm -hmm. pornography, but there's others than that. Yeah. And and one last stat on, um, porn would be that they did a similar study with that from the same group. And they said that just 55% of the adults, 25 and older who they surveyed believe that porn is wrong. So that's where the issue is. If you only have 55% who believe it's wrong, then no wonder it's so prevalent because it's not wrong. It's become normative. It's normal. It's become normative. It's a normal. It's almost expected. It is. There's actually studies and articles written by medical professionals who would argue that porn is actually a positive. And so you're right. And there's so many substances that we could talk about today. Mm -hmm. We want to give one more example, which I think is really staggering. And I think uh, preparing for this episode, I didn't realize how pervasive it was, Mm -hmm. but the opioid crisis in America. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the statistics, Steve and I were even talking this morning before we started that a lot of these statistics are a few years old. They're mm-hmm. they're 2017, 2018 yeah. uh, articles. I have a few of them, and you guys might have some other things. Uh, what what struck me was the Time magazine uh, a couple years ago put out a special report called the Opioid Diaries, and in it they stated this, that the opioid crisis is the worst addiction epidemic in American history. And the article goes on to say that drug overdoses kill more than 64,000 people per year. And because of that, the nation's life expectancy has actually fallen in the last two years when that study was mm-hmm. done. Um, so there's other things. Uh, the, the other thing I think about an opioid that, that really struck me was the National Institute on Drug Abuse stated that roughly 21 to 29 percent of patients, so get this, over a fourth of people, one fourth of people prescribed opioids for chronic pain misuse them. Wow. Mm. One in four. Hmm. Four. That's crazy. Yeah. The NIH, um, National Institute of Health, they did a study and 6% of the entire population in 2017, 18 million people um, had misused medications like that in that year, in mm-hmm. 2017. They also found that it was the highest in uh, young adults ages 18 to 25 with 14.4% reporting a non-medical use of some type of opioid or narcotic that was given to them wow. um, for that. And they, they attributed it, even the National Institute of Health says, 
they believe that it was due to misinformation propagated sometimes in the, around the 90s saying Early 90s that there was not across, yeah. that steroids right. and medicines were not as addictive and that now we have like a massive massive problem on our hands. So yeah. so if you're in college um, go get something to help you focus. Yeah. Go get some go get some go to somebody yeah. who has ADHD, get the medicine from them, pay them a few bucks. This guy makes money, I get a good grade on my test and we're good to go and that's how the thought process yes. works. And yep. there's a, a statistic that I read from uh, drugabuse.gov. Overdose, de- overdose deaths involving prescription opioids were five <laughs> times higher in 2016 than in 1999. Mm. So since all that coming out in the 90s. How, mu- how much? Five times higher <sighs> in 2016. Wow. That's and crazy. that's an old statistic. <clears throat> and we can only speculate that it's gotten worse since oh, yeah. then. So uh, it's just insane. You know, and, what, and Stephen's right. A lot of that came across early 90s is when it began uh, to become really prevalent on the scene. And and so what happened is, is that prescription drugs became more and more prevalent, mm-hmm. that the cost of illicit drugs began to decline yeah. and, and access to that. And there was a statistic I came across, I don't know if I have it here, but it was talking about the number of people that um, battle with an opioid addiction, um, specifically something that's like a prescription drug that it was a staggering statistic that ended up moving towards an illicit drug like heroin or something like that. Hmm. And, you know, and I think if we, if you're listening today and you hear all these statistics and you're like, man, this is statistic overload, unless you think that this is just a, this is just something that's happening uh, outside of the church today and not in the church today, I think you're really mistaken because yeah. you listen to the, the, the statistics on pornography in, in terms of uh, Covenant Eyes and Joshua McDowell ministry, and the statistic is really in the church, there's not really a difference statistic-wise than in the rest of the world. And I came across one about the opioid addiction Lifeway Research, excuse me, <clears throat> asked a question of um, a thousand Protestant pastors um, with their personal connections to the opioid epidemic. And the question they asked was this, do you know somebody who has personally been affected by opioid use? And two-thirds of pastors said they knew somebody in their congregation that was either had a family member or somebody in their congregation had been personally affected by it. Mm. And over half of pastors said they knew of somebody directly in their congregation dealing with that type of addiction. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. So I just say, listen, this is something, addiction is something in our society today That's... that is that is very prevalent. And mm-hmm. also what we want to show out today as we go through this episode is that this is not a new thing. Um, addiction is not a new thing. I think the access to certain type of addictions, as we mentioned about pornography, has shifted and adjusted and changed yeah. in the way the access is there. But desire and human nature um, and really the issues underlying addictions um, are something. So as we think about the addiction crisis in America today, uh, what we're going to do in the episode is we are not trying to cover the nuances mm-hmm. of every substance addiction. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we might do some future episodes about each yeah. of these in its uh, in itself. Which is proven by our stats because we left out um, so nicotine many and tobacco, which yeah. is like right. the leading cause of preventable <laughs> death in yeah. the U.S., right? That's so right. like we're not trying to like get on one and ride it. Mm-mm. What we're trying to do is give an overall understanding that says, hey, here's – Here's some general specifics on addiction and There's substance a crisis abuse today. Yeah. and the crisis itself. And exposing the root is what we're trying to get mm-hmm. to. Yeah, yeah. And because because we could say, you know, one person might not battle one of those statistics, but they might fall in the other one. Mm-hmm. And and so what we're what we're saying here is, hey, we're not trying to parse out the nuances of every
recovery addiction. Don't listen today as if this is going to be the end all be all uh, of one of those issues. However, we want to show the common denominator that each of these addictions have uh, together. And we want to show what that dependency is. There Mm -hmm. is an aspect of dependency in every one of these addictions. And we want to kind of consider what is the road to recovery. And once again, the road to recovery for each of those different addictions is going to look somewhat different, right? Would you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's never a cookie cutter solution to a certain recovery program or counseling or anything. You know, every person, as individual as their addiction is, that's how individual their recovery is going to be. Exactly. I think the danger is that in many times we try to put out cookie cutter books on counseling mm-hmm. and our Christian mindset. And today we said we wanted to talk about some of the stigmas of Christianity and that's one of them. Hey, just quit it or just do this or do this 10 step program. And it's like, okay, well, I think we would all agree that there is a biblical basis and some non changing factors to addictions, right? Yeah. There are some biblical principles that no matter what you're addicted to, and we're gonna we can apply. Yeah. yeah, we are. They can be applied to your life. However, on a practical note, the way that you're going to recover if you put that into a cookie cutter solution and then somebody doesn't, it doesn't work in their life and then they get frustrated, then they go back to their addiction. It's just making the problem worse and worse and worse. You know, we can't be simplistic or over overly reductionistic in how we deal with addiction. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, let's just kind of segue here a little bit and think about, okay, the addiction crisis uh, is a crisis. It is pervasive. Um, It's even prevalent within the church. And so the question we ask is, why do people turn to substances? Why do people turn? Well, there's quite a few different reasons, but number one, I think, um, is people turn to substances in order to escape something Mm -hmm. or to distract from something. I was doing a little bit of reading last night, and I came across this article by uh, Dr. Stephen A. Diamond uh, called Avoidance, Sobriety, and Reality, the Psychology of Addiction. Um, In it, he says, the fact is that addiction, by definition, is a psychiatric, psychological, or mental disorder first, and a biological or physiological illness second. More than anything else, addiction is about denial of reality. Mm. Psychologically speaking, addiction is all about escapism, avoidance, denial. Addicts run from reality. Mm. Yeah. So that's an aspect of it. It could be that. There's also another aspect of exhilaration and this idea of like, man, it feels good. Pleasure. Um, NIH um, did some, they wrote a massive article on, it's a drugabuse.gov, but it's through the National Institute of Health. And they wrote a, um, an article about teaching addiction science and specifically on the brain and actions of cocaine, opioids, and marijuana. And they did, part of their study was they had used rats and I don't mm. know if you've heard of this, but no, they used rats and they, they somehow, I don't know how, but they wired them up to where they could give themselves and self-administer certain types of drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they found wow. that the rats, just an animal, would continuously over and over and over again, continually give themselves drugs until it either killed them or until it was just like they ran out. Wow. And they found, and their their conclusion was that in certain types of addictions, people will get to a point where it's almost like this reward 
um, thinking mentality is the language that they use. And it gives like this rush of dopamine Mm -hmm. and it gives this rush of adrenaline. But then the only problem is it starts to block how your brain reacts and recepts to that. So you have to give more. And in order to get that rush, and then it covers it. And then you're numb and you're in this hole and you're addicted and you can't get out. There's tons of research on how addiction and different substances actually change your neural pathways to Mm -hmm. need the substance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's tons of research done on that. So yeah, so um, escapism, exhilaration, well, exhilaration, and also I feel like there's uh, deep emotional issues that sometimes people run to mm. substances in order to make them feel better, kind of fill the void. I mean, when uh, you talk about like depression or anxiety, um, there are medications that are given that work, but oftentimes when people turn to illicit drugs to change that, that's where you really get disastrous results, trying to fill those emotional voids. A pain. I think there's a pain aspect. Mm. People are trying to dull pain somewhere. Numb it out. And to numb it. Or um, one thing that came to my mind was loneliness. Mm. Or idleness, you know, sometimes there's that phrase, what is it? Idle hands are the devil's work. And sometimes there's that aspect of just loneliness, Mm -hmm. idleness, curiosity that, that, um, that took somebody to a place that they never thought they would be. Mm. Which I think, I think just on a practical note, that's only been emphasized and reemphasized I think with our current situation with COVID-19 and stuff yes. and people yeah. being re- oh, yeah. reclused and withdrawn. We aren't going to have stats for probably years. But there was stuff coming out already about the mm-hmm. opioid crisis of with, with the pandemic of COVID-19. Kickstarted it. It had mm-hmm. just relaunched a massive surge of that. And so, yes, that is very true. Yeah. So, what are you going to say Well, there? in the loneliness aspect, too, you think about sometimes with young children getting involved in drugs or alcohol, um, it's it's a matter of wanting to belong and being a part of a group. And mm. sometimes to be accepted, that's just what you do, you know, and especially mm. when kids mm. are, you know, idle. and Even a know. curiosity thing. Yeah. I mean, I think even for real young people, it could be this aspect of their friend tells them something. Hey, go look this up. Yeah. Or go go uh-huh. try this or taste this or space. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, too, there's this there's this. Um, transitionary period between generations where like specifically with like pornography where it's like we don't want to talk about that with our kids because we don't want to scar them Mm. and as as a youth pastor I'm like hey look if you aren't talking about what about it with them somebody else is Mm. and even in elementary school and second third grade and lower preschool kids are talking about this and if you don't talk to your kid about it they're going to look it up because they're going to get curious Mm -hmm. and their friend's going to be like, hey, you need to do this in order to be my friend or you need to do this just to check it out. And when that happens, the parent needs to be able to confront that with their child and not worry about scarring them because this is something that has to be dealt with because the age and generation, it's much different than it was before. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is a number of reasons why folks turn to substance. I think there is one though common thing in all of that, that regardless if it's a, if it's a distraction and anxiety, a loneliness, a pain or a hurt, there's something that people are seeking for Hmm. to fill uh, some aspect of what they feel like they're lacking in. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, if there's one thing we can all agree on, that there is no one recognized definition of addiction. I mean, <laughs> you, you look for a, a definition, however, um, for our discussion, I think Morgan found a pretty good uh, definition of this to kind of um, yeah. center our discussion on when, we, when we're talking about addiction today, this is what we're meaning. And this is my plug for, I think, an, a, we should have a permanent institution of a section called DYT. Define your terms, because it's very important when you enter any sort of discussion. <laughs> so we're going to DYT here for a second. All right, all right. Um, Um, And uh, so the definition for addiction I found, I just went on dictionary.com because that's where a lot of people go. Good place to go. Just to see, you know, what 
the common one was. And the definition that I found, it says the state of being enslaved to a habit or practice or to something that is psychologically or physically habit forming, mm. such as narcotics, to an extent that its cessation causes severe trauma. Mm -hmm. So very wordy. But the point being that you're enslaved to it to the point where if you try to stop, it's going to cause more harm. It's almost kind of an idea of like dependence in a way, exactly. right? Like exactly. I have to have this in my life for whatever reason. And we've already referenced the yeah, reasons, exactly. right? There mm -hmm. can be any amounts of reasons, but whatever it is, I have chosen to put all my stock in this thing. And yes. when, and I've found that when you take that thing away from an addict, people will fight to defend that. it is it is insane it's how far people will go mm. to fight back, which is the trauma aspect. Yeah, that, there's an aspect of that. And then you, the part of that uh, uh, definition talked about a habit-forming substance, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, being enslaved to a habit or practice uh, or to something that is psychologically or physically habit forming so oh, whether right. your the habit is in your brain just on like the dopamine levels and like you know uh the rush that you feel or to the point where your body becomes physically dependent on whatever substance mm -hmm. so much so because you talk about withdrawals that's your body mm -hmm. showing its dependence on the substance because it's physically becoming ill without it like with uh heroin for instance mm -hmm. if a heroin addict is not careful how they cease yeah. they can literally die from yeah. withdrawal from it because their body has literally re recreated how it functions based on their addiction. Exactly. Right. So as we think about all this, you know, we've kind of painted a real grim picture here of um, the addiction crisis and um, just really human nature of our um, inclination to turn to other things to fill up this fact of what we feel like we're missing or this void of what is not there. We want to talk about just a moment and really kind of shift gears now to really talk about, hey, there is hope and recovery mm -hmm. yeah. from this type of addiction crisis. And um, that's what we want folks, folks to hear is as you're listening today, there is hope for that. And regardless of what you're listening and where you've been and, and the struggle that you feel like has been going on for years, uh, there is hope. There is true hope. And, and a, a real process of recovery. And we want to take some time not to, once again, this is not nuanced. Uh, this is not a cookie cutter approach. So don't just hear this and say this is all, but just understand we're trying to provide here a framework for people to think through as they think about their addiction. So, you know, as we think about kind of the, the hope of recovery, um, we would all affirm, I think all of us would affirm that the gospel is hope for recovery. Amen. Amen. And, uh, <laughs> and with that, though, I think there have been maybe some caricatures of gospel recovery programs that oftentimes people associate or that's all they think about to the exclusion of really what the process of recovery looks like. What do you think are some of those caricatures that, that maybe gospel recovery programs are known for? Just stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Just quit it. I think it. of an old TV show. There's like a sketch. This lady comes into a psychiatrist and his solution is stop it. Just stop it. And I feel like so much right. that's what the church does, you know? Sometimes maybe that's the sermons we've heard growing up yeah. is just, hey, quit it. Turn away. Turn it. I think, okay. I think also a, an ignorance. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is people unwilling to, it, it's kind of the quit it mentality, but it's mm. also the thing of like, well, you know, Jesus is enough and God is good and God will bring you out of it. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, yes, 
is God enough? Yes, most definitely. That's right. His word says he is. Is there victory in Christ? For sure yes. there is. However, yes, has God put in place certain things in our human structure and in our human life that will help us and are needed to help us recover because he's given that ability to us? Yes. yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if we ignore those things at the for the sake of um, being imbalanced on this mm-hmm. one that's direction, word. it is yeah. not good. And it, it's, it, it's, that's the caricature I think that gets thrown around everything. Well, there's people who are just Jesus freaks, you know, and, yeah. and they're just going to tell you that, that it's all, and it's like, well, yes, that's not a bad caricature to be called a Jesus freak. Cause I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm all in, yeah. but at the same time, we don't want to ignore blatant facts and things that are helpful in the mm-hmm. recovery process. That's okay. so true. That's, that's true. Yeah. Something else I, I think is maybe a caricature of that is, Hey, you just need to pray more hmm. and uh, you need to read your Bible more. And yeah. so if you're struggling in addiction, you're not praying enough. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's some truth. And once again, here, here's the fact, there are some truths to those things that we're talking about. Um, what, but kernels. There were, the were, there's <laughs> kernels. kernels of truth. Yep. And I think what you said it was right. There's this aspect of balance. And mm-hmm. so, however, the Bible and what we want to show here in the remaining part of the episode is the Bible provides this really holistic approach, uh, to what it looks like on the path to recovery. And our society today, uh, medical communities, psychiatric communities would say that addictions are purely a medical issue so yeah. much for so that now all of those different types of addictions are labeled a disease. Mm-hmm. And I, I was studying this this past week uh, prior to 19, I think it was 40, almost nearly all of these things that we've addressed as substances or addictions were not labeled a disease mm-hmm. uh, prior to 1940. And so uh, if, if, if that's correct. And so um, and so what happens is in our society today, we've labeled it a medical issue. We've labeled it a disease. Uh-huh. And what's happened is we've made people less and less responsible mm-hmm. right. for their actual behaviors. So where sometimes the church can go to the the end of the spectrum being purely spiritual, yeah. our society pushes to the purely physical. So they miss the spiritual. Com- I mean, because we have a spirit, we're spiritual beings. And so right. uh, underneath all that, there is a spiritual problem somewhere. But mm-hmm. if you neglect that entirely and focus solely on the physical, then you're putting a bandaid over a bullet wound and mm-hmm. not addressing the source of the problem. Yeah, exactly, Morgan. And, and disease is partially true because yeah. it's a sin disease on the spiritual side. But on the physical side, if we only elevate and use this disease language, what you said is so true, we equate it to cancer. Mm. So we always search for a cure. We hope that there's a cure, but it's not my fault. I didn't do anything to get here. And it's all about the circumstances I was put in. And that is a lie. And if we are willing to believe that, that will keep many times from actually getting true victory or happiness. That's right. Because then that's that's, that's why sometimes when addicts actually find where they can cease – you can see sometimes where they either will get addicted to something else. Mm. Sometimes there will be suicide. Sometimes there'll be things that stem from this. And so we have to be holistic in our approach because the Bible is holistic. And I love the word that um, you were talking about earlier. It's not reductionistic. Mm. You can't reduce it to psychiatric. It's mental. You mm. can't reduce it to it's, it's medical. It, it's completely physical. You can't reduce it and say there's no men- medical or mental aspect to it. And it is only spiritual. Mm-hmm. It is a, it is a, holistic it is. thing here. It and is. yes, is the Bible supreme and is God supreme? Yes. However, we have to look at it in a complete way. That's exactly right. I'd go back to the definition we gave for addiction and say, look, there is a physical component to that. Mm-hmm. There is a physical component. So we want to clarify right here a moment before we move forward and say, hey, 
there often is very real physical components to addiction. However, what we're going to articulate is that God's word provides the best framework. It provides the most, like you said, holistic approach to recovery. Because when we understand that addiction is ultimately rooted in this type of sin that has led me to choose something rather than to choose God, Mm. we discover that 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 it 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 shows us like in Romans 12 and in Romans 14 it requires us to show that we're responsible for our own behaviors and choices and there yeah. are physiological components there's mental components there's things that play into this and we're willing to affirm that and agree with that however there is an aspect of spiritual um issue relating to addiction that very much needs to be addressed and because here's what i thought about this week is that addiction is never in isolation mm. you know so often true. when we think about sometimes people can try and um cover up their addiction by saying oh well it's it's moral or it's it's not really that problem i don't have a problem with it or or this or that but it's often accompanied with a number of other clear blatant sin issues mm. like um, lying for one, lying covering it or up. cheating or stealing or lack of submission to authority or yeah. all different types of things. And so it's not ever in isolation. I think mm-hmm. it's often accompanied with another things. And I think the trouble as we think about addiction that makes it so challenging is oftentimes when addictions come to light, it is at the point where it is spinning out of control. And so it's not at the point where it just began. Mm-hmm. It's not at the point where it's, it's, but it's, it's at the point where everything seems to be falling apart. Yeah. And, and there's sometimes just this grappling, you know, struggle for people who are ministering to people in the midst of an addiction like that to say, where do I begin? Yeah. Where do I begin? Because have you all experienced that or at least yeah. seen that? Well, like there's just this aspect yeah. of things. Because at that point, typically when they when somebody reaches rock bottom, even if they're still in denial about everything, it's affecting their finances. It's affecting their relationships, any resources they have in their life, any sort of sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. Their addiction has overcome all of them. Yeah. And I love what you said the other day, actually, when we were talking about preparing for this. You had said that you don't just get addicted overnight, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't just start. It starts with abuse, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So abuse and, and again, define our own terms. What are we talking abuse about? Abuse of a substance. Abuse of a substance, meaning I'm using it in a wrong way. I'm misusing it. Yeah. And it starts there and then it just builds. And then you're right. You end up in a hole. And it's kind of like um, if we ever talk about depression, this might come up in that episode. But like you don't just get depressed overnight, mm. yeah. but you're in a pit. Mm. And when you're in that pit, man it looks like you're never going to get out of that pit. That's right, because when we think about substance, once again, we need to clarify, Mm -hmm. um, there are some things that are morally right, Mm -hmm. and there are other things that are morally wrong. And however, an addiction can be either of those things. Um, A good quote I found by uh, Paul Tripp said that even a good thing can become a bad thing if it becomes the ruling thing. And Mm -hmm. so what is that? Well, you know, we could look at illicit drugs. And, you know, oftentimes when people think about addiction, they think about all the morally illicit things. When you can think about, hold on, prescription drugs, that may be a healthy thing, a holistic thing. a healing thing. A healing thing. However, it became a bad thing because it became Mm -hmm. a ruling thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Addiction is the moral issue. Yeah. We often want to make the substance the moral issue. Well, and sometimes it is such as pornography. And it can be. It can that be, yes. Very but fine it, lines there. Even pornography, I would argue, stems from the misuse of a God-given gift. Oh, yeah. The Se- desire. Sex God-given is desire. God-given. Yeah. Sex is God-blessed. Mm-hmm. But it, pornography is a misuse of that. And it's yeah, almost like... That. 
it's almost like we want to make the argument always about the substance. That's sure. a, that's, that's our right. touch point in culture. Right. We're always like substance, substance, substance. Is marijuana right? Because is, here's is, <laughs> is drinking right. Here's why we want to do that. Yeah, we can justify ourselves by saying this is what, flutter. especially in the church. Mm. Hey, this is what worldliness. This is what worldliness is. Let me define it by these one, two, three, four bad things that you do mm-hmm. not do. And if I do not do them, then I am not worldly. Yep. However, worldliness is, is far deeper than. And that. those conversations can be beneficial. But what we're saying is the beginning point here is more of like. Who are you depending on and who are you worshiping? Where's your heart at? Because it doesn't matter whether the substance is good or bad at this point. That's a later question. Once we get through this point, the first question is, are you depending on something other than God or are you worshiping something other than God? Because it doesn't matter what the substance is at that Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. So when we talk about hope for addictions, here's what we want you to hear today, that there's at least two biblical truths that come to the surface and there might be more than this. But two things that we have to talk about when we talk about addictions is we have to talk about idolatry and we have to have to talk about freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about those. Let's talk about idolatry first. I think ultimately addiction is an idolatry problem. It's about, it's a worship problem, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bible tells us in Psalm 16, verse 11, that at God's right hand is pleasures forevermore. And so we find that it is, it is in coming to the Lord that we find true meaning, true joy, but whenever people turn away from God into whatever thing, they are searching for that comfort. They're searching for that hope. They're searching for whatever would functionally be playing God to them. Yeah. And so there's this aspect where we have turned away in our, in our addiction. We have turned away from God being the source of our joy and meaning. And instead, we've tried to fill that mm-hmm in our pain and loneliness and anxiety and escapism with some other type of substance. Yeah. Here's a thought. Um, do you think the, the object of worship is not always the substance itself, but it can actually become oneself? Oh, I, yeah. When yeah. they're chasing, you know, chasing the high, you know, I want to do what feels good to me. I want to do what makes me feel you know, like mm-hmm. I'm on top of the world or um, mm-hmm. it, it all becomes about ourselves and chasing what makes mm-hmm. us feel good. But mm-hmm. I also, you know, the substance can be. Yeah, I, I, think as well. the, I think the biggest idolatry problem that anyone will ever have is the problem with, of me versus God. Mm-hmm. I mean, Adam and Eve, I want what I want. I don't want what God wants. I mean, that's the definition of sin, give or take, is I am going to choose my own way instead of God's Mm, described way, you know? And um, I I think the idolatry issue is something that is not always brought out. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. well, you're struggling with this. We think of the slave part of it. We we think of the... Yes, which is part, and we're going to talk, talk about it. But that's what comes to mind first. Yeah. We often think about being dominated by some addiction yes. first. But it begins in the heart. Mm-hmm. Um there's a um, book by Paul Tripp called How People Change, and I don't agree with necessarily every single point of it, okay? I'm not going to endorse every book that I mention here on the show, and I think it's a great book, but uh, if you have a problem with it, <laughs> sorry about it. But um, anyway, the, but he talks about this idea of um, the um, root fruit and how it's not circumstances that determine everything that happens, right? And how we need to get to the issues of the heart. Mm-hmm. And like, I think too often we want to focus on the action in Christianity. Mm -hmm. So we're like, hey, I am struggling with illicit drugs. I need to cut that off. So how am I going to cut it off? The only problem is when you cut fruit off, it either grows back 
or in a spiritual case, something else grows, right? Mm -hmm. And we're never going down farther to say, okay, what's the thought processes, the stem from which this fruit comes Mm -hmm. from? Even deeper than that, what's the root? What's the heart issue? And we're saying the heart issue, according to scripture, is idolatry. idolatry And if you look Mm -hmm. at, and what you said earlier, it's not a new thing. Corinth, the city of Corinth, where Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he literally, the way he paints the culture is a sex-crazed, addicted culture. And what was their issue? They were idolaters. Mm. They were complete idolaters. They had lifted up sex and these idols, and how they worshipped them was by going to a temple and having sex with prostitutes. That's the definition of a sex-crazed, addicted culture, you know? And their issue was... Idolatry. That's right, because it's it's a deeper thing that we don't address. We want to mm-hmm. address things on the surface because we feel like we can change them. Well, easier. they're the easiest to see. It's the easiest to see, and we feel like we could see the the greatest improvement. Y'all ever go to Chuck E. Cheese when you were kids? Oh yeah, I think once. Oh man, I, <laughs> that I was went a to spot. Chuck. That was like an annual birthday thing for me <laughs> until like I was twelve. I, I had don't a know, sad like, childhood. <laughs> I, uh, going to Chuck E. Cheese. You remember that game, the Whack a Mole thing? And you uh-huh. did yes. like, like yep. when I think about when I think about addiction, I think about that game because. And maybe it's a bad, like, correspondent, but this is where I go, like... It's good, though. It works. Well, it does work because because here's the thing. Some people might have never actually identified, recognized their real problem of idolatry, and they've spent decades trying to modify behavior. And what ends up happening is they get victory over one thing, but then something else pops up, and they're almost, like, blown away why did that happen? Well, it's because you've actually not identified your idolatrous heart. There's an app, there's an aspect that that an addict is in some sense feeling like he's unable to stop, right? Because it's not just an idolatry problem, it's a it's a freedom issue. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said in John 8:34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Yeah. And we think about that verse a lot when we think about addiction, but but an addict is somebody who's like, man, they want to stop. They want to change. I mean, probably a lot of people in that position want to be free from that. However, Jesus is saying that if they practice sin, they're enslaved by the master of sin. And there's mm-hmm. this thing about Christians that is very different, and we want to talk about that in Romans 6. But I think we can all agree here, uh, just really quickly, that as we look at all of these addictions, as we look at it from the light of God's word, we see this basic commonality that addictions have, and and an addiction could turn right. You could you could you could have a tendency to uh, go to one type of destructive behavior over another, but there is something in common with all type of addiction, and that is what you were saying, Stephen. This aspect of that in Adam, where all these idol worshiping. Uh, enslaves to sin. We're addicted to sin. Paul says, and you mentioned Paul in Corinth, he says Mm -hmm. to the church in Corinth, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common uh, to man. Mm -hmm. And so um, apart from Christ, apart from being in Christ, all of us, all of humanity are slave to sin. They're slave to sin and they are idolaters before God. And so if we can rightly identify and agree upon that, that the problem of addiction is not just a problem of substance or changing behavior, but it's actually a deeper problem, then we can actually apply gospel remedy, Mm -hmm. the solution for it. And it's the gospel. You know, the last couple episodes we did, we were talking about the gospel. Mm -hmm. I think we want to show people today that the gospel is not just something that you believe or something that you give mental or faith assent to. But it actually f- flows out into our life 
in these type of growth behaviors, right? Yeah. What are you going to add to that? Yeah. uh, There's this phrase that our campus pastor would often use um, when he was talking about any number of subjects, but he would always say, and I'm not sure if this was original for him or he got it from someone else, but the gospel is not about behavior modification. It's about spiritual and life transformation, complete Mm. and total transformation, like Mm. you said, from slave to free, from dead to alive. So it's much, it's much deeper and it's not about changing what we see on the surface or just do this better and don't do that. It, it just, it goes deep and it changes you completely from the inside out. So let's, let's take the remainder of time we have here yeah. and let's just show uh, from scripture, what is the holistic approach that scripture gives? Cause, cause the Bible says something about both of those things that, that if it is an idolatry problem, that there is true hope, joy, satisfaction in Christ and there is also this aspect that there is freedom mm-hmm. from these things. Yeah. So I, let's look at, um, let me begin with one, and then Stephen's going to share one. Second um, Corinthians chapter 10, you know, Paul, well, you've already mentioned it, but Paul's writing to a church in Corinth that in their day was, um, it was a sex-crazed society. And when I read the book of First and Second Corinthians, I say, wow, that's a picture of America. Like, um, <laughs> things have not changed in 2,000 years. The human heart is desperately wicked above all things. Mm-hmm. And look at, although maybe access, we no longer enter into a temple uh, to people to, for people to engage in pornography. Now it's accessed by uh, clicking a button on an internet, mm-hmm. right? So the, the device has changed, but, but, but the issue is not a new phenomenon. Yeah. Um, and there, even in that day, Paul spoke to those people about a gospel remedy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think a lot of it is rooted in the book of Romans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Romans 6 is, um, there's a few chapters in my life that have just absolutely, like, transformed my life and helped me grow, like, leaps and bounds. And obviously the Bible as a whole... Yes, but there are certain chapters that have just like connected with me and convicted me. Yeah. Um, Romans 6 is one of those. There's places like Galatians 5, Romans 6, Psalm 34, but Romans 6 is just one of those chapters. And uh, he, Paul, in the first 10 verses, his basic point is Christ died, so you died. Mm. It's, no, it's not the I need to die daily. That's actually an unbiblical um, theology. You don't need to die daily. Uh, Christ died, so you died, and Christ rose again. So his life is your life. That's basically the the summary of the first ten verses. And then he comes, can I read a verse in verse yeah. nine there? Because that verse nine, Paul says, yeah. "For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Mm-hmm. Death no longer has dominion over him." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he says then in verse seven, before that, for the one who has died has been set free from mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying is, set free from addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Set free uh, from the enslavement. Yeah. That. And verse 11 is key. Verses 11 through 13, I, I believe in chapter six are the keys um, to understanding these two issues. He says, so you also must consider, uh, if you're reading out of King James, it's probably going to use this old accounting term reckon, right? And it's not I reckon, <laughs> it's uh, reckon. So you must consider or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. There's the idolatry reign. Uh, to make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, 
but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Mm-hmm. And there in verse 13, um, present is, and if you're reading again out of King James, it's going to be that old uh, yield word. And the idea here is that, hey, first of all, you need to consider or reckon yourself. Basically, you need to appropriate what's already happened. It's happened. It, it doesn't change the fact that Christ died, so you died. Christ rose again, so your his life is your life. What needs to happen, though, is you need to consider it to be so. That's what it means. And then don't let it sin rain, but instead yield. Mm. Give way to the one who, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. Holy Spirit's in you. You're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. How does it all work? Uh, You know, brains exploding. Um, But it's good, and it's true, and Mm. we're still figuring more out about it as we go, but um, yield over to that power that's working in you. And instead of seeking things and depending on everything outside, Paul would say in Ephesians five, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by a substance, but instead be controlled, depend upon the Holy spirit of God. That's good. So let's, let's start here maybe to say, okay, where do we go from here? We, we first, like you're saying, I got to recognize my real problem. Mm-hmm. And for many folks who are listening today, the real problem might be they've actually never turned from their sin and embraced the freedom that God has to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for you listening today, it might be a need to just come to Christ and, and a need to repent of our brokenness, our sin, your failure, and to find his grace because that's what he says in verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would it mean to be freed from something? He says, since you're not under the law, but you're under grace. And there is freedom from addiction found in the grace of Jesus Christ. So we have to recognize, what's my real problem? Do I really know God as my Savior? Do I have a relationship with God? Because if I don't, I'm always going to find myself turning to some lesser thing to try and find what is really absent in my life. Exactly. So I identify what I really want. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, I need to recognize, reckon myself dead to sin. And so I I have to identify in my life, what do I really want? And what's making me go after that? Mm -hmm. Why am I pursuing that? Why why do I find myself being tripped up here? Because there's something you want about that. There's something. It might be a recognition. It might be a thrill. It might be, uh, it could be a number of things. Mm-hmm. And this is where this gets into the nuance of it, right? And you actually have to work and think through it. That's right. That's and part the, of the reason why we like fruits is because you can just cut them off and hopefully right. it fixes it. When you're recognizing the issue and the root and identifying how all it works together, how the plan of, according to God's word, you need to get out of it. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of work. It yeah. is a and process. It's not easy. It is a process yes. with steps. And then so we recognize, we identify, we confess. Yeah. Uh, Morgan has some things to add on this. Yeah. So I think one one part of this process of recovery that I, I re- the reason I think confession is, is so important is because, you know, the enemy works his best on us when he can keep us in isolation and he can keep us silent, you know, because that's what he wants. In, in James five sixteen, it says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Mm. And the thing about addiction, one reason why people want to even avoid the process of recovery is because there's so much shame in it. Because the feeling of isolation, the feeling that, oh, despite all these numbers, I'm the only one who has struggled the way that I have. And I'm the only one, which, you know, biblically, not true. No, no temptation has taken you, except that is common to man. Um, But so once we can confess to one another 
that's when people can come alongside you. And like in Galatians, it talks about bearing one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. That's what we are to do as a body of Christ. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we're we're supposed to seek in holding each other up, holding each other accountable, because sometimes other people can see areas of your heart in the root problem that you can't see mm-hmm. because you've you're you're kind of blind to it. So when you seek good counsel and and people that are going to tell you the hard truth that hurts instead of just patting your back and mm-hmm. loving you all the way to destruction, you right. know, mm-hmm. confessing to one another and, and, and praying for one another. That's the, I think that's that burden bearing yeah. that yes. encouragement. Notice what he says that you may be healed. Yeah. yeah. And I just think, listen, the Bible is resounding yeah. in its promises of freedom. I mean, that is the message of the gospel, the core of the gospel. And God has not saved us to live defeated lives. But God has saved us to experience his resurrection power lived Mm -hmm. out through our life. And so there's this aspect of reckoning and yielding and applying and and, and, and restoring. Yeah, restoring is a big one. I think sometimes, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get kind of excited about having somebody be able to confess something and be able to repent of it, right? Mm -hmm. But repentance involves action and restoration. Yeah. And so we, we think, well, if, if I recognize the problem, I identify what's going on and I confess, then I'm good. But then we leave out restoration. And well, how do we restore? Well, first of all, there needs to be spiritual restoration. That's done by the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's done by spending time with the Lord and walking in the spirit. I mean, Galatians 5, John 15, abiding in the vine, walking in the right. spirit, yeah. having the spirit change my life Ephesians and God change my life. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 5. Yeah. But I also think Galatians 6, 1 is a, a, a great passage to think of when it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You should mm-hmm. go and help. And so there's this idea of even in Ephesians, Galatians, where we are to be edifying one another. And so the spirit restores me spiritually, but on a corporate and church level in a church, there should be a restoration effect and an edification effect happening mm-hmm. completely and uh, through the body of Christ to where we are restoring one another. Yeah. We're helping one another. Yeah. We're reaching out to one another. We're building each other up. Yeah. I would just say finally, then, as we kind of land the plane here today, is to understand that in the midst of whatever addiction it is, to to really, truly come to a greater understanding of what the Bible says about God and to find him to be so much better than whatever it is you're running to. Mm-hmm. I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. We'll leave folks with this today. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine of what's meant by the offer of a holiday at a seat. We are far too easily pleased. So as we kind of wrap up here, any last concluding thoughts or any final encouragement to folks that are listening today? Yeah, I love the verse in John eight thirty eight. It says, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Mm. So there's, there's so much truth and hope and life in the fact that Jesus does set us free mm. and nothing can enslave us anymore. That's good. I think of Philippians 1, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it at the day of his coming. Mm. Christ has worked in your life if you're a Christian. Christ has saved you. He has begun that work, and you are being sanctified. And does that mean that you're going to have some bumps along the way, and you're going to have to deal with a lot of ugly mess in your life? And when you think that you dealt with it all, another thing's going to rear its head? Probably. But he's working in you. 
And um, there's a quote that we do a study on Wednesdays out of um, a book study. And there was a quote in one of the chapters that said, failure is one of God's greatest instruments for spiritual growth. Mm. And this idea that if you take that and you work through it biblically, according to God's word, he can change your life. Yeah. I just want to leave everybody with a verse from Psalm 34. Uh, the Bible says that those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. That that means that when you look to God, God's never going to disappoint you. Uh, the Lord is so much better than anything else you would think. He said that this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. On our next episode, we'll be considering what is missions with a special guest. We look forward to having you join us there next time.